Well, God's good, amen? Did you all come to receive today? Today, me and Trudy are going to do a little tag teaming. All right, so I'm going to start her off today. Um, we had, um, over the last you know, month or so, been working through a series talking about resisting our enemy. How many know we have an enemy? And I've uh, been talking about resistance. In fact, let's go to our key verse, uh, James chapter 4, please. James chapter 4. And um, I'm going to do a, a little bit of review. And then um, Trudy's got some things that have been stirring in her heart, and I want her to share those things today. And uh, so we kind of wanted to add to this series. I took, a, like I said, I took a little bit of a break last week just because we wanted to with everything going on, we wanted to talk about, you know, you know, reaching our uh, generation for Christ and uh, kind of took advantage of the moment, the fact we're doing our VBS at that time. So, uh, but today I want to kind of jump back into this series a little bit and at least uh, minister some things today. Uh, chapter 4, verse 7 says, therefore, submit to God. Everybody say, therefore. therefore. Now, right before that, he said, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Okay, so... To uh, the word proud um, means to elevate oneself. And so when we're talking about you know, walking in pride, it's about elevating oneself. The word humble or humility is about lowering oneself. So he's talking about here, you know, he says, therefore. So you have, sometimes you've got to stop and see what it's there for. So he's talking about, listen, he says, you know, somewhere along the line, you've got to say, okay, I'm not in charge. Amen. Uh, you know, I, I need to lean on him. You know, even like Jesus said, he says, I can't of myself do nothing. But as I see, I do. As I hear, I say. Amen. So now that he even understood the importance of submitting to the Father, letting the Father lead, guide, and direct. Amen. So that's why it says, therefore, submit to God, then resist the devil. Never say the devil. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, that sounds like a pretty good promise. Uh, but just as we've been bringing out over this series, is uh, resistance of the enemy, okay, is, it works a lot easier when you're first and foremost submitted to God. Amen. Because a lot of times what happens is you're sitting there trying to resist and you can wear yourself thin. Binding this and loosening that and, you know, and everything that you try to do. And if you're, you know, if you're just kind of doing things in your own abilities and strength, what happens, you'll find you run out of strength, you run out of ability, you run out of time, you run out of energy, you run out of whatever. Anybody hearing me? And then pretty soon you're, you're giving up. Pretty soon now you're cowering. Pretty soon you're quitting. Pretty soon you got your tail between your legs and you're running off. Can I hear a big amen? amen. And look at your neighbor and say, not you. Hallelujah, that's not for us, amen. So the point of bringing this out, it, it just pays is to submit to God first, amen. Resist the devil and he'll flee. Let's define it real quick. The word submit means to be subject unto, uh, to yield or be under obedience to. Uh, reflexively is, is, the, is one of the words, which just means to be reflective, means you're basically willing uh, to let God lead is what it means. In other words, however he leads is what we do, amen. That's what that word submit means, which is going to probably come up again. Uh, the word resist, amen, which has been obviously a real key here. The word resist means to stand against, to oppose, to withstand, uh, to counter or endure. But it, it refers to something as far as endurance and constancy because there is no resistance without endurance. There is no true resistance without continuance. Amen. You can't just resist one day and then say, I'm taking a break tomorrow. 
because the enemy will surely pressure you on this. And he, the way he works, and the word says, don't be ignorant of how he works. The word is real clear uh, that when you, uh, you know, whatever's been sown in your heart, so you may say, okay, I'm going to stand, I'm going to resist, I'm going to oppose, I'm going to stand my ground, amen. But the, the enemy is going to come and try to see if that's real. He, the word says he'll come immediately to steal what was sown in your heart. So a lot of times you'll notice when you make a stand for anything in God, here comes the pressure. Does anybody ever attest to that? Yeah, all the time. It happens all the time. About the time you say, man, I'm going for God all the way, man. I'm serving God. Woo! And the next day is like, oh, my God, if I'd have known it would be this hard, I'd never would. Oh, my God. Oh. Look at your neighbor and say, not you. We continue. We serve. We, pr- we press in. Amen. And get this. Praise God. Uh, you know, understand that you can never conquer what you don't confront. So if you're going to cower every time the pressure's on, you'll probably never conquer it. And all you got to do is be willing to stay with it. So that's why submitting to God is so key. So what I did um, in this series is I basically just took the texts out of Scripture that deal specifically with resisting your enemy. All right, there's a lot of ways to resist, but there's basically about a dozen references that deal specifically with, about why you do this, because it's all about resisting the enemy. Are you still with me? Amen. Maybe I should do this. I did this in the very beginning of the series, but I think I'm going to do it now. Um, Just to give you some understanding about the enemy. Now, we're not here glorifying the enemy, but the Word says don't be ignorant of how he works. So as far as I'm concerned, when you get to heaven and if you got questions to God and say, I just don't, I didn't know we had an enemy. I didn't know. He's going to say, which church did you belong to? He's going to go through all the things and say, no, you belong to Word of Victory. Nope, that pastor taught you. So if, um, yeah, and you were even there at that service. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So you probably were playing on your phone. Somebody says, he won't do that. Oh, he might. The point is, amen, you're not going to leave uh, this, this, uh, this house without knowing the fact that you do have an enemy. Amen. Now, the wonderful thing about it is the, uh, uh, Jesus was real good about exposing the enemy. There wasn't a lot said about the enemy in the Old Covenant. Obviously, we, we see the enemy come into play around Genesis 3 and how'd that go out? That didn't turn out too good. Uh, we see a little bit of references about the enemy in Job. How'd that all turn out? Are you anybody hearing me? Are you with me? Now, one of the names for, uh, for uh, the enemy is Lucifer, which is only mentioned one time in the book of Isaiah. Uh, but a lot of people at least know that Lucifer was, uh, was one of his names. Uh, other names is Satan, of course. The word Satan uh, is a name that was mentioned 35 times in the New Testament. Half of those times is in the Gospels alone. Okay, so because he's being exposed. Amen. So Jesus is bringing it out and exposing who your enemy is. Amen. How many know God is not your enemy? I said, how many know God is not your enemy? I said, how many know God is not your enemy? You have an enemy, and a lot of times what happens is God gets the blame for things. Come on, somebody. But we're trying to let it be known God is never your problem. But you do have an enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, an enemy that comes to oppress, an enemy that comes to mess up your day. 
So he, uh, Satan is mentioned 35 times in the New Covenant. The word devil is mentioned over 100 times in the New Testament. Three-fourths of that is done in the Gospels. So again, being exposed. The word thief is mentioned 15 times. Uh, half of those times is in the Gospels. He's uh, given names like enemy, uh, the taker of life. You know, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's referred to as the devourer. He's referred to as our adversary. You see that out of 1 Peter 5. Uh, oppressor out of Acts 10. Remember, Jesus came uh, that he, to bring uh, healing and health. Amen. To, amen. Right? A good. He's good. Hallelujah. And good all the time. Amen. To heal those who have been oppressed by the devil. Who oppresses? The devil. The devil. Who heals? Jesus. Jesus heals. God heals. However you want to word that. Okay, the enemy's referred to as the father of lies. Hang on to this. This all, this all comes up. He's referred to as a deceiver. Come on now. Multiple times he's referred to as a deceiver. One time even mentioned as a, he, he comes as an angel of light, trying to somehow make you think he's good and make you think that it's all right. Come on now. He's also referred to as the accuser of the brethren. So anytime there's that mess going on, guess who's behind it? He's referred to as the ruler of this world, okay? In other words, the one that basically all the world system all operates based out of, out of something that comes out of him. Are you still with me? That's why we have a lot of, you got to stand your ground as a child of God. you got to stand your ground as a Christian. Come on, somebody. Don't let the world system dictate. Amen. We're not denying what's out there. We're not denying the systems. Amen. But understand this. You as a child of God belong to a different family, a different kingdom. Come on, somebody. You're of the family of faith. Come on, somebody. Amen. That's who you are. Look at, you, uh, look at your neighbor and say, you child of God, you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The enemy is also referred to as the God of this age, which comes to blind the minds of men. Uh-huh. He's referred to as the tempter. We see that from Genesis on. But we tell you these things not because you have to fear your enemy, but be, to be aware, amen, that he is a fallen, created being. Come on, somebody who's been stripped of his authority. And if you walk in your authority and dominion, hallelujah, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Can I hear a big amen? Amen. Give God praise, everybody. Hallelujah. Said all that for this. Now, uh, just some keys of resistance. We, of course, in the same text in James 4, he talks about drawing near to God. We explain that, what that means. Amen. As you draw near to him, he draws near to you. The point is being made. Amen. That your first and foremost uh, uh, key to resistance is keep yourself connected to the Father. Always draw from the, always move into God, draw from God, amen, let God empower you, let God strengthen, let God lead, let God, come on, are you hearing me, somebody? If you will do that, I guarantee you, you can conquer, you can overcome, hallelujah, you can win every time, you can walk in great success if you will let God lead you. So draw near to God is our first uh, big key. The next one we talked about out of 1 Peter 5 talks about casting all your care upon him. 
Talking about resisting the enemy, being sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, like one. Didn't say he is one, but it says he goes about making a lot of noise. And the word says that he may not have place. Amen. Uh, we'll say, uh, just went blank. I got two verses coming together on me. Amen. What's that? That, uh, that's Ephesians 4. But uh, anyway, the point is this, amen. Uh, the enemy goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Come on. And it says that he may not. Everybody say, may not. May not. He, see, he's looking to come in. He's, he's trying to come in, but he doesn't have to. All right? So the point being, praise God, hallelujah, is that we cast, it starts by casting all your care upon him. Now, why is that so important? Well, because it's all about worries, anxieties, Fear, mental anguish, uncertainty. And any time you have that, come on now, the Word makes it real clear that you've become subject to bondage. So that's why we want to cast all the cares. So you're submitting yourself to God. You're casting all the cares. I refuse to worry about this. I refuse to worry about that. I refuse to get, come under anxiety about that. I refuse to fear this. Come on, somebody. Nobody's denying the existence of any of it. But when you come under it, the enemy already has his, you know, finger up your nose and leading you anywhere he wants to lead you. Because that's what fear will do. Listen, when you're under fear, you make dumb decisions. Okay, maybe you don't, I do. No, we all do. When fear is in the picture, we have a tendency to not make wise choices. So what happens, the enemy can just lead you anywhere he wants. We talked out of Ephesians 6 about putting on the whole armor of God. We spent some time about each piece of the armor, talked about why it's so important in the area of resistance. That text talks about that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Later on in that same text, it says, put on that armor. Why? That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. We fight against principalities, powers, might. Uh, come on, rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. All of that is nothing but demonic influences, different levels of demonic influence that we have authority over. But understand your fight is not with flesh and blood, but you do have a fight. If you'll put on the whole armor of God, amen, you can resist your enemy. Can I hear a big amen? amen? Then it talks about the sword of the Spirit. That's your weapon. Amen. Which is the Word of God. Come on now. The Word of God. That word, uh, word is the Greek word rhema, uh, which means an enjoined or authoritative declaration, an utterance made to breathe, something coming from something being revealed. Amen. Something that's alive. And so what he's talking about in context is that sword of the Spirit is your mouth. Come on, speaking the Word. The Word of God uh, brings out multiple references of Jesus uh, uh, being uh, recognized with a two-edged sword going in and out of his mouth. Amen. Do you think he had a metal sword in and out of his mouth? No, but what he had going in and out is the Word of God. He'd speak the word, it is written, praise God. And he'd back that enemy up every time. Can I hear an amen? amen? So we talked about the importance of taking the word of God, speaking the word of God, using it as that two-edged sword, praise God. 
We talk about out of Revelations about we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Now, there's three things mentioned there, but all of it refers to overcoming your enemy. First, talked about the blood. We talked about pleading the blood, what that means. Amen. Proclaiming the blood, which means that what Jesus has already done. How many know Jesus paid a price for you? And if you think about that, communion's all about this. That's why as often as you do it, you do it in remembrance of Him. Why? Because of what He did for you. So it becomes a form of resistance. Everybody say, praise God for the blood. Amen. He said, love, uh, also, uh, the word of their testimony is not talking about primarily about coming up, bringing a testimony from the pulpit. All that's wonderful. It's all necessary. All of it's important. Amen. But it's talking about you resisting your enemy with your testimony. What it means is you go to the enemy and you tell him how big your God is. Now, the problem we have as Christians a lot of times, we go to God telling him how big our devil is or our enemy is. Is anybody hearing me? So what you got to reverse that. That's what he's talking about. If you're going to resist the enemy, you get in the enemy's face and you tell him how big your God is. My God delivers. My God sets the captives free. My God heals. My God provides. My God delivers man, hallelujah, out of all their mishaps. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. My God, hallelujah, heals and delivers. So what? You start talking to the enemy that way, pretty soon he's backing out the door because he don't want to hear that. And the other thing is loving not your life even unto death. And, of course, that's talking about as commitment unto God, a willingness to not quit, to not give up. And right there is a huge one because a lot of times that's what happens. It comes down to this. I'm tired. I'm wore out. I just can't take it anymore. I just, I just, don't, I just don't, can't do this. Has you ever heard that? Listen, nobody's picking on anybody. No, nobody's making fun of anybody. It comes down to this. Amen. You got to be in it. Amen. To win it. You got to stay in this thing. Amen. And keep fighting. You never back down. I said you never back down. I said you never back down. You have authority and dominion. Don't ever back down. Somebody said, well, I don't understand it all. Well, maybe you don't, but you stay in it, amen, until you do figure it out. Last thing, last thing you want to do is give up and quit. Listen, I'm telling you what, one day if you do that, you're going to find out one day that you, you had the authority and dominion to do it, but you quit. Aren't you glad you came out on a Sunday morning? I think a few of you are like, eh, maybe. But it's all important. It's how you resist the enemy. The last one we talked about, we actually spent a couple weeks on it, talking about neither give place to the devil out of Ephesians 4. And it talks about how you can give the enemy opportunity. You can give the enemy consent. You can give the enemy uh, a foothold in our lives. And talked about how you do, how you do that by uh, the way that, that that happens is different areas of your life where you don't, you don't keep things in check. Are you with me? Listen, if that, if, that, if that internet giving you fits, or, and I'm not talking about whether you have internet, I'm talking about what you're doing on the internet. Come on, somebody. If, that, if that's something that always gives you problems, ends up messing up your, your life, shut her down. I don't care what area of our life it is. There's areas of our life sometimes that we open the door, we let the enemy in, and he just, he just continues to rain havoc in our lives. So I took some time. We talked about some different things about keeping ourselves. The Word says if you will keep yourself 
1 John 5 says, you will keep yourself. The wicked one cannot touch you. So what it's talking about is keeping yourself in check. Don't allow the enemy in in certain areas. Don't open the door for the enemy. Look at your neighbor and say, don't you dare open the door for him. Come on now. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Trudy, come on up. Praise the Lord. The word, uh, the word talks about woe to those who are at ease in Zion. The word out of Amos and uh, was talking about casualness. You know, the things that we touch on and talk about these things, um, it's, it's really in a lot of ways, it's about warring against casualness. You don't just cope with things. You don't just say, oh, well, that's me. Or, oh, well, you know, I guess it's whatever. God forgives or whatever. See, the thing is, is all these things, oh, if it opens the door to the enemy, see, you don't know what, where that's going to go because he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So that's why we don't ever want to open the door for the enemy. And get this, casual Christians become casualties. So not in this house. There. Is that too much of a heavy? <laughs> Are you with me? Yeah. Give God praise, everybody. I've, I've probably learned more in the last two or three years about prayer and how to be effective in prayer um, than ever in a span of my life. And so I just want to talk to you just briefly about some things about resisting of the enemy and how he works. You know, Colossians 1.13 tells us, that Jesus, he translated us out of the kingdom of darkness and, uh, or he, he, you know, delivered us out of the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Um, the Young's literal translation says, he rescued us out of the authority of darkness and he did translate us into the kingdom of the son of his love. So that means when we get saved, we are literally taken out from under the power of the enemy and we are put into a different place in the spirit where the enemy does not have access to us and that place is called the kingdom of the son of his love we've been moved most of us didn't know that when we got born again you got moved you got moved in the spirit you got moved from one place of control and authority into another place and control of authority. And then um, Pastor Jerry uh, made mention of this in 2 Corinthians 2. He talks about we're not supposed to be ignorant of the um, devices of the enemy. And it says so that he shouldn't take advantage of us. And in context, he's talking about unforgiveness. He's talking about the enemy has an advantage over you when you're unforgiving. When you're unforgiving, the enemy has an advantage over you. And um, specifically, this word advantage means overreach. Now, we've heard that word overreach a lot in the last few years. It's overreach. It's overreach. And what overreach is, is someone taking authority over you that has no right to control you. Okay, so Satan wants to take authority over you, even if he has no right to control you. 
And that is what the enemy is wanting to do. And there are things in our life that can give the enemy authority over us, even though he has no right to control us. So those are the things that I want to go after today. Um, and um, the devices the enemy uses, understand he has a purpose. His purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. The enemy has a purpose. But sometimes what we don't understand is his personality and the reason for his purpose. So I want to go to Isaiah chapter 14. And we're going to look at some things. This is a passage of scripture that Pastor Jerry made reference to when um, the enemy is called Lucifer. He was given that name as one of the three archangels of heaven before his fall. And this is the explanation of the reason of his fall and how far he's going to fall. You'll find here in Isaiah chapter 14. And it says here in verse 12, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. The nations talking about people. So what we see here is one of the things the enemy wants to do is weaken people. He wants to weaken people. This word weakening means to disable, to make them waste away or be frail, to make them fall prostrate. Okay. This is what the enemy is wanting to do. He's wanting to weaken you and I. And then this passage in verse 13 says, you have said in your heart. This is what the enemy says in his heart. This is what the devil says in his heart. He says, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. The next verse then. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Now we have to understand that every endeavor of the enemy is to get him to fulfilling his purpose and cause. He wants to be God. We have to understand this about the enemy. In our submission to God and resistance of the enemy, it's because the devil wants to be like the Most High. He wants to be like the Most High. And on all of these things he's talking about, he's talking about being above, being ascending, being in a higher place being exalted, being um, glorified, if I could say it that way, to be magnified, to sit in the place of God is what the devil wants. And everything he does is about that thing in his heart. Everything the enemy attempts against you is with the thought, I'll be their God. Everything the enemy endeavors to do is trying to become your God. Now, that alone makes you spitting mad enough to say, not me. Amen? Yes. Hallelujah. And so he wants to be like the Most High. So with this mission of being like the Most High, 
The best way for him to do this is to attack the thing that God loves the most. And so what he goes after is God's people. Because there is nothing more important in this earth than people to God. Than people to God. And whatever he can maneuver and manipulate to destroy people gives the enemy the sense that he is arising as God. Whatever he can destroy in your life makes him feel like he's achieving his purpose of becoming like God. So what we have to do is we have to be on the guard. I will not allow him to think he's in charge. I will not allow him to think he's ruling and reigning. I will not permit him to think he has authority over me. I will not allow him control over my heart or life. You know, and the best way, the best, one of the best ways to resist the enemy is don't do anything he says. Just don't do anything he says. See, and the reason he specifically goes after the people of God is not be just because they're the apple of God's affection and the heart of his love. It's because he is jealous that you can never fall out of favor with God. You can never fall out of favor with God as long as you're willing to repent. There is no repentance for the devil. There is no restoration of his position. But for you and I, it doesn't help matter how big and ugly we get. There's still a repentance paid for that we can come back into the favor, the affection, and the love, and the position that God has for us. The devil never gets the benefit package that we have. He never gets it. And so what he does is he tries to assault the people because we have to understand there is things about the devil. Number one, he is fear-based. He is fear-based. He is envy-filled. He is darkness-consumed. He is destruction incarnate. This is the enemy. Don't lose sight of that. He is defeat looking for a place to happen. See, he is not a challenge for us, but he tries to fool us into thinking he's either our equal or our superior. And that is not the way the enemy is. Amen. Hallelujah. So what we see in this passage of scripture is the enemy's um, idea is to become like God. I will be like the most high. So what we need to understand is he is attempting to copy or imitate God. He is trying to copy or imitate God in our lives. And he is nothing but a counterfeit. He is not the genuine and, but there is things of the enemy um, that are in direct opposition to God, okay? For instance, God believes in unity. The enemy is always trying to start division. 
God believes in peace. And the enemy's always trying to stir up chaos. God believes in faith. The enemy is fear. You know, God is about life. The enemy is about death. God's about humility. The enemy is about pride. See, the thing we have to understand is the devil thinks he is going to achieve this. He thinks he's going to achieve to be like God. I don't hit here because I bruised my chin this week on a water cooler. That's, that dot is not like some special jewel. Amen. <laughs> it's a bruise. See, the devil thinks he's going to be able to achieve this. And there's not a chance. But he thinks he's going to be able to achieve this. But we have to know how to resist the simple, small things and then we will avoid the weighty things. All right? And, you know, like Pastor commented, in Ephesians 4, 27, you give no place to the devil. Don't give him an opportunity. So if he's trying to, if he's wanting strife and division and chaos and pride and fear, just don't give in to those things. Don't give in to darkness. Don't give in to oppression. Don't give in to depression. There is no one unaccepted like the devil is unaccepted. He was not only kicked out of his house, but even the people that are serving him really don't like him, those demonic forces. He is a loser in every, every sense of the word, right? But the enemy, because he's trying to copy God, he is trying to use some of the same principles and processes that God uses. For instance, he knows seed time and harvest always works. He knows that. So what he's trying to do is get you to sow a particular seed that will lead you to the harvest to help get his purpose of becoming like God. So he, he knows that. He knows about the power of words. So he's trying to get you to say something that will give him access that will cause him to be more like the Most High God. That's, he's, he's doing this. He understands the renewing of the mind. So he's trying to bombard you with repeated thoughts that will convince you of something that's anti-God and pro-him and make him like God. See, he knows how the spiritual kingdom works. And what he's trying to do is just shift it off a bit because he knows the process is going to work regardless. But what he's trying to do is shift you just a bit that you are going to surrender and yield to him because God is determined by who yields to them. All right? He also knows this. He knows power of blood. He knows power of blood. He knows that Jesus' blood has supreme power in it because the life of God is in it. That's why he goes after the blood of the innocent. Every demonic ritual has blood in it for some way. 
Why is that? Because he understands power of the blood. It's a counterfeit. It's a mimicking. It's an imitation. See, he's, he's trying to be like God, so he's trying to value all the same thing God does, but he does it from a heart of destruction and darkness and evil. So what it's going to do is it's going to damage people instead of heal people. This is the enemy. He understands that um, what God wants to do, he has to have a counterpart to it. Years ago, there was an upswing in the prophetic. There was a lot of prophetic coming out. We were just in the church getting revelation and understanding of prophetic voices. And lo and behold, because what the prophetic does is the prophetic speaks of those things unknown that are about to come to pass. That's the prophetic. Well, here comes the devil with his psychic network. Here comes the devil with the psychic things. It is a counterfeit of what is real, but he wants to be like God. God's always ahead. God is always ahead. So he mimics and copies and imitates. So then we have the psychic network because the prophetic move is happening in the church. Then we get where we get understanding of flocks of people together with a shepherd and moving toward the things of God. So he starts twisting and distorting and contorting that we have organizations with corrupt leadership on top that's moving a whole group of people to do awful, horrible things. A counterfeit of the pastor that tends and cares for the people. This leader cares and tends to themselves and gets them to do their dirty work. Where the shepherd cares and tends to the people, giving his life for them. See, there's counterparts all over about what the enemy's doing, all in the name of, I will be like the Most High God. All right? So we see all these things. But um, I want to take you to a scripture now for some, just some enlightenment on some things. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll, we'll see something here. I guess that's not in Philippians. I was in the wrong place. Um, because what we need to understand, that if there's a principle or something of God in the word, uh, a, a desire that God has, you know, God wants you to submit to him, resist the devil. That means the devil wants you to submit to him and resist God. Everything is in opposition. God wants you to care for people. The enemy wants you to care more about yourself. You, you understand, it's always, always like that, okay? All right, so in verse number 19, it says, Therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So it's talking about here that we are a family. 
a citizenship, okay? And whom, in verse 21, the whole building, all these people are being built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, meaning everything has to align and begin with Jesus Christ. Everything has to align and begin with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone and everything works and is built off of that. All right? In whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. So what we see is the people of God are being built together to become a place for God to live, to dwell, to habitate. You know, it's interesting that he refers to us as stones rather than bricks. Bricks are easy to build a stack of. Have you ever tried to pile up a bunch of rocks? They don't come down. They don't stay as easy, right? It's, but God says he's going to fit us together. Meaning it's not that he's making everyone a replica of another one. But he recognizes your characteristics. He recognizes your individuality. He recognizes your personality. And he knows exactly where you would fit. If you've ever built a, um, like a fireplace or something out of rocks, it can, it, you can have a place that just doesn't work. And then there's just this little bitty stone that perfects it. Right? It's an odd shape. Or something, And that's what God's doing. He's taking all of us and he's putting us together. And he says, when you get together, you're going to be a place that I can live. You're going to be a place where my presence can exist. You're going to be a place. Now, the interesting thing about that is we can see that through the book of Acts, what was required was for them to get an agreement or one accord. Right? And then the presence of God showed up every time they were in one accord. So this is the goal. Get them in agreement, and then I can habitate there. Get them in agreement, and then I can live there. Okay? So this is God's plan. So what do you think the enemy's plan is? Get them in agreement so I can live there. Same thing the enemy's trying to do. And I noticed this when I would pray over cities or organizations or something of that nature that I could tell that I didn't know whether to break the thing in the spirit or break the agreement in the natural because it became confusing which one is the cause and which one is the effect. Because the agreement concerning a demonic agenda gave the enemy place in that region. But yet, because the enemy had place in that region, everybody that came there fell prey to it. Does anybody understand what I'm talking about? Because we will see, we would, um, you would send a good student 
to a college and something would happen to them. So the atmosphere, if I can say it that way, that was demonically controlled was affecting the person coming into that atmosphere. But that atmosphere got there because there was a group of people that agreed about a demonic agenda that set up camp there. Do you understand what I'm talking about? And you can even have families like that. You can have schools like that. You can have even government like that. You know, you could, you could vote the right person in and send them to the state capitol, but because the atmosphere was so corrupt, pretty soon they're doing things, you're like, I didn't vote for that. Do you understand what I mean? So I began to recognize and realize that we had to work this thing in both realms. We had to work this thing in both realms in order to get the powers of darkness broken. And you know, sometimes it's easy to recognize things in extremes. You know, when there's an extreme one way or another, it's easy to recognize when we're talking about atmospheres. You know, we may not, we may not go to the local honky-tonk because the atmosphere is wrong, but yet we don't keep things off of our television that's affecting the atmosphere in our own home. Do you understand what I mean? You know, we may not go to the meth house because we know that's a bad house, but yet we may entertain things in our own house that give the enemy just as much place. Does that make sense to you? And we're talking about keeping the devil out. You know, and there is television programs. I'm just going to tell you this. There is songs and music. There is things on the internet that the enemy is using simply to get it to control the atmosphere of the Christian's home. To make an adjustment in the Christian home. You know, there's, there's uh, have you ever seen the infatuation with death? You know, um, a few years ago, I was listening to a minister in Russia that had come to America, and he asked the question, what is the infatuation with death in America? Why is it a cool emblem to have a skull and a skeleton and a dead thing? You know, why is that cool? Because the enemy is wanting to affect the atmosphere where we give it place. Are you okay? Do you need to come back up here instead? (laughs) Okay. All right. So what we have to understand then is there is atmospheres of the spirit realm. There is atmospheres of the spirit realm. And you can determine the atmosphere around you if you get in the fight and protect it. Because people can be in dark places and still be under the light of God. You can be in a dark place under the light of God, but if you're not consciously pursuing the light of God, you are going to be subject to whatever atmosphere is there. 
And don't, you, we, we have to understand, this happens. Have you ever walked into a home where people have been arguing and fussing and fighting, and you walk in there and think, ooh, what's this? See, the spirit realm is an unseen realm, but it carries personality and characteristic. You can tell when you go to different cities and different places and, and different locations. But we need to understand that if we're going to resist the enemy, we need to be aware of it even in our own home. We need to be aware of it even in our own locations, that we don't give place to it. We have seen people get caught in an atmosphere just from doubt and unbelief, and healing doesn't come. Why? Because the atmosphere is permeated with all this doubt and unbelief. Okay? So we need to be aware of it. So let, let's go back to Matthew chapter 16, and we'll wind it up with this. Thank you for giving me some time here. Matthew chapter 16. See, we can't think, we can't think that we can create an atmosphere conducive to the devil and then be shocked that the devil found an access point. We can't watch murder and incest and adultery and sing, sing songs about getting drunk and partying and, and uh, you know, I don't remember my name and they stole everything. We can't, we can't think that that goes unnoticed by the devil. We can't think that goes unnoticed by the devil. God is willing to forgive, but we have to understand the devil takes note of every place he can get access to your life because he wants to be like the Most High. Okay? So Matthew chapter 16, if we look in verse 15, this is where Jesus asked Peter, and he says, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father is, who is in heaven. So he got a pat on the back. You heard from God. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church this rock of revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it says, And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So the word gates here means access. So he's saying, You're Peter. On this rock of revelation that Jesus is the Christ, I'm going to start building my church, which we have proof of that because Jesus is the cornerstone, right? He says, I'm going to build my church and accesses of hell will not prevail against the church. Meaning this, they will not be, this is what he said. He said, the access of hell shall not be superior in strength to my church. So the devil wants access. But Jesus is saying the devil has no access unless my church gives him access. Because the church is the one that has more power than the enemy in the area of access. 
Hallelujah. And it goes on to says, and I will give you the keys, which means the power and the keys are the power and authority to open and shut. So Jesus is giving us the power and the authority to open and shut the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, it's interesting in this scripture that it says whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Where is the first binding? On earth. And then it's bound in the unseen. So whatever we will not permit in the natural realm will not be in operation in the spirit realm. See, sometimes what happens is we read this and think, I can bind that because it's bound in heaven, which I'm not taking away from that. Every scripture of God is living and powerful, and it's like a plant. You can eat the roots, you can eat the buds, you can eat the fruit, you can eat the stems. You can eat all kinds of pieces of every scripture, okay? But what we have to understand at this point, what I'm trying to bring out is the first binding was in the earth. And then what we bound and didn't permit in the earth was not permitted in the heavenlies. And whatever we allowed in the earth is allowed in the heavenlies. So this gives us instruction about what we do, what we allow in the natural realm will begin to build in the spirit realm power and authority over our life. Now, I understand we could get in two ditches here. We could get into the ditches of a religious spirit of works, which that's not right. And we can get into this other side where um, nothing I do matters. Neither one of those are correct. But what we have to do is balance this to understand we are the church and we have the power to open and shut things And the devil has no access without our permission. And so whatever we do not permit to happen in the earth will not happen in the heavenlies. And whatever we allow to happen in the earth will happen in the heavenlies. It's all about not only controlling the things of the natural, but also setting an atmosphere where God can have a habitation place that is not conducive to the enemy's way of thinking. And so what we have to do is come into agreement about what we're going to permit and what we're, we're going to forbid. Because we're building a place. No, that is not acceptable. Unlawful, illegal. Remember that? Okay. We have to understand that what we do in the natural is affecting the realm. If we sit in our houses and complain about no finances, not enough to do anything, not a, you are building in the spirit an umbrella of lack. Are you hearing what I'm talking about? If we give a place to fear and we talk about the anxieties of what are our kids going to do? What's going to happen to our kids? What's going to happen to our children? What are they going to do? Oh, can you believe what they do? We are building an umbrella 
of demonic forces in their life. Because whatever I loose on the earth is loosed in the heavenlies. Whatever I bind on earth, bound in the heavenlies. Now, I am not trying to incite an attitude of works. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to say, let's be discerning. Let's be discerning and wise of what we're permitting. Because what we're permitting here is taking opportunity to be built there. And what we want is we want the right atmosphere. So it's a habitation for God in the spirit. So in order for that to happen, we've got to govern what we're permitting in the natural realm. Amen. Hallelujah. So sometimes you're praying about the spirits over a situation and a location. And sometimes you're praying about the actions of the people that are living under it. But the whole point is the enemy is divisive. So we just get in agreement with him to divide his own forces. Amen. And understanding that what I'm thinking about is not just what I see with my eyes, but also what's in existence that I don't see and not permitting those things. If I start being casual and compromising in my spiritual walk in the natural, I shouldn't be shocked that I don't feel pulled to God as much as I once did. I don't feel drawn to God as much as I once did. I don't find my passion and fire. Because in the natural, I started doing things that spoke of complacency and casualness and I don't want it to be so hard and I don't... So I'm creating a whole atmosphere of complacency spiritually. And then what happens, it takes repentance to break not only the actions, but the atmosphere that are holding me in bondage. Amen. Praise the Lord. Did you get something today? Hallelujah. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to watch the video of this message, head over to vimeo.com forward slash WO Victory or go to Jerry Roberts Ministry on Roku. For more information about who we are and what we do here at Order Victory, check out the website at wovictory.org. That's wovictory.org. See you there.